Hello, we are the worst of all possible worlds. Welcome to part two of our story about Night Trap. Mr. Night Trap goes to Washington. But first, a word from our sponsors. Listeners, have you ever dreamed of living in a state? A state that is real and has things like cars and roads? Do you wake up every morning and say, I exist? Then come on down to the great state of Delaware, where you can exist along other humans who also exist. Delaware? Della here. Delaware. It sure is. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you to our sponsor, who, um, oh, that's weird. Just a blank piece of paper. Huh. Weird. Anyway, so we were so talking much. about Night Trap and specifically <laughs> uh, the fact that uh, Congress decided to make it a poster child for a thing it was not. So Congress and some those clowns in Congress were at it again. Looks like those clowns in Congress did it again. What a bunch of clowns. <laughs> How does he keep up with the news like that? All of these homegrown little TV violence pressure groups were all starting to get real, real hot and horny for video games. They were wet sure. and they were stroking. Much like most of the Nintendo clientele for hot bath babes. Yes, uh, bubble bath babes. I think. Thank you. <laughs> hot, hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> so... This leads to a congressional hearing that ends up taking place December 9th, 1993. Uh, in the lead up to this congressional hearing, they do a press conference. I actually haven't watched the press conference. I just know the main part of it is that they got Captain Kangaroo to go on TV yeah. and say that Night Trap was degrading like the moral fiber of our youth or whatever. Um, he, he made one good point. He made a good point that was like, you know, I made children's entertainment for many, many years that never involve violence. And we should not see violence as a prerequisite for entertaining children. Right. And actually, I think Mr. Rogers made that same point when he was defending public television. And uh, that's that's a, that's a great point. And it's especially great because Night Trap has no fucking violence in it. Especially enacted by the player. You just drop people in a hole. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess a kid could imagine that they dropped into like a fiery pit, but that's that's more on like the imagination of the kid. Like yeah. they seem fine. Like again, yeah. the, the augers are the least threatening enemy I think I've ever faced in a video game. Uh, so this hearing begins with Democratic senator from Wisconsin, Herbert Cole, named after my cat, Herbert. I do not like this video game, y'all. Herbert Cole, if you're wondering if he's related to Cole's department stores because you're an idiot like me, you're also fully correct. He is the co-founder, along with his father and brother, of the Cole's department store chain. So right there, you know he's the devil because he's a retail CEO. Right. And, and you know, there's there's no conflict of interest of him, for him voting no. on any bill. No. So he he begins this whole thing and then he passes it over to our my friend and yours. Uh, Joe Lieberman. Right, score one for you. Yes. At this time, still a Democrat from the state of Connecticut, uh, a state that only exists because of Vince McMahon and the WWE and massive labor exploitation. I thought that was Delaware. Uh, no, Delaware doesn't exist. Hmm. Point to it on a map. Find me a map, any map, and show me a Delaware. You can't. So Lieberman begins his statement by invoking the murder of Polly Kloss who was abducted during a slumber party in October of that year. Oh, Jesus. Uh, she was 12, 12 years old. Oh, God. Kloss's body was discovered five days before this hearing. Fuck. So you can see already, like, the line that that Lieberman is trying to, to draw here. Um, right. Slumber party, etc., right? Uh, yeah. The man who kidnapped her was a man named Richard Allen Davis, he climbed in through the window, he tied up the three girls, and he took Kloss. Was he a fa Awful. was he known to the family or was it No, was it just this was a, a, a random full, This was a full like home invasion stranger danger, you know, by the book missing white girl news story that became a national sensation, right? Because it's 1990s, there are four things the news reports on all year and they have to fill it for like 3 months each. Um right. so he kidnaps this girl. He gets arrested December 4th, and he tells the investigators where her body is, and they find her by Highway 101. 
This is in California, by the way. And that's actually going to be extremely important. So Richard Allen Davis, let's talk about him for a minute. He was born in 1954 uh, to a white white father and a northern Paiute mother. Uh, His family was poor. His parents were alcoholics. They were violent and abusive. Um, Sometimes he lived with his grandparents on the Fort McDermott Reservation in Nevada. And sometimes he lived with his paternal grandparents in a town named Chowchilla in California. I'm not, I'm not familiar. I, I, I grew up in San Diego, which is yeah. prominently known for its serial killers. But This is all Northern California. Okay, so sure. he tortured and killed animals as, as a kid. He would go around school, tell other students he had a knife and that he liked using that knife to cut up dogs. Uh, this is another thing. He'd set cats on fire, things like that. Very, very similar to like the Iceman, the way he described his childhood. Uh, His first arrest for robbery was at age 12. Wow. And it would not be his last as a minor. Uh, In addition to the multiple arrests during his teenage years, his father would occasionally turn him and his older brother, I think that he was one of four or five children, uh, would turn them in to juvenile hall just for a period of time. So he was just going in and out. He, he, of course, after being imprisoned uh, after Polly Kloss's murder, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. But clearly there were also a lot of other factors besides simply having a personality disorder. And then he's just going in and out of jail for years and years and years and years and years. He's committing multiple robberies and assaults, etc. There's a part where he actually escapes jail. There is a long string of assaults, sexual assaults, kidnappings, uh, uh, attempts of all the above, all on women. There's a woman who climbs out of the window of his car, finds a gun under the seat, and shoots at him six times as he's driving away. Even more robberies, even more arrests. He's in and out of the prison system just constantly. It, it kind of right. reminds me a little bit of like Charles Manson in his early right. years. Sure. Eventually, he kidnaps Polly Kloss. Right. So uh, we're going to put a pin in this because he's actually going to be important later in this story. Oh, so God. remember the name Polly Kloss and remember the name Richard Allen Davis. So Lieberman, of course, he's mentioning this specifically to tie Night Trap to the concept of sexual violence against young women, against teenage girls, against children. Right. Because he wants to paint Night Trap as this deeply misogynistic uh, uh, female rape and murder simulator. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which it is decidedly not. (laughs) It's just so fucking not that. There, it's there like, are a couple of weird points where, like, the daughter kisses her dad on the full on the mouth, <laughs> which made me a little uncomfortable. And the um, Sheila, the, Sheila Martin, the, the matriarch of the family, um, at one point, like, like strokes one of the one of the young girl's arms and like sniffs her a little bit. But like, oh, other right, than yeah. that, yeah, it's you know they're vampires. Yep. You, you you understand the context of what's happening. And so he's doing all this comparison because also the aide has failed to set up the fucking TV, right? So she's like, she spends like <laughs> seven minutes trying to get the TV working. And like he said, well, I bet a number of the kids that we're going to be talking about today would be able to help us with that. It's like, no shit, dude. Like maybe your complete lack of knowledge about anything relating to the subject might be relevant here. Right. And I mean, genuinely how disgusting it is that he brought in like a very real world tragedy yeah. to try and yeah. justify From this. From a few is... days ago in the news cycle. Um, so he uh, immediately begins to mischaracterize basic facts about the game. He says Night Trap is set in a sorority house, which it's not. You, you know what? What's funny is I actually, I that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Before that's I, wa- before what I watched it seems, the, the game. Maybe you'd seen clips of Lieberman saying that. Maybe other people just repeated that later on when talking about Night Trap. I mean, it is like the look of that kind of thing when you see the girl singing the song. Right, right, and and honestly, um, the, and honestly, a lot of the way they're dressed, it, it reminds you of like a college sorority yeah. house. I mean, it's also so yeah. sparsely decorated. You're like, yeah, this is a sorority house, sure. He says in his opening statement, the object of the game is to keep hooded men from hanging young women. Upside up, up. He's of course referring to the hooks that go around the backs of their necks. Anyway, right. I mean, uh, people do get hung upside down to like drain them of blood, but I believe no. All of but them he are means men. he means hung by the neck uh, until dead, uh, I strangulation. See. Okay, I know I am um, I am I am absolutely the last person yeah. to judge anything as camp, but you're not the th- last person. I trust your opinion on camp more than 
probably you're you're in some ways gayer than me, AJ. I'm sorry I have to tell you that. <laughs> it's all I've ever wanted to Because hear. you knew it was true, but you felt you needed the validation. Well, there you go. No, um, no, but there was a uh <laughs> But there was a point where one of the uh, one of one of the young women was being was being taken by the augers, and they had that um, trash picker upper uh, clamped to the back of her neck, um, and it comes off a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. she kind of has to reach her hand up to yeah. kind of like hold it on. It's not and, super tight. And there's another no, scene and, where they wrap it around one girl's leg, like they're trying to get it out of her femoral artery, which would actually be yeah. a very good source of blood. It's a good well, idea. But. But yeah, no, but that's what I said. That, that's actually, yeah. I thought I, I, in that moment, I was like, that's a beautiful piece of dramaturgy. Cause yeah, that would be the other place he would go. But yeah. the, the simple act of her holding, like the claw in that moment to me became camp. Like yes. that was, that was the clearest example of camp in the entire thing for me. Um, um so no, no, in by no stretch of the imagination are they hanging them. Hanging, I mean, it sounds so They can gruesome, barely stay on their neck. Right? And he's saying this with no video footage or anything. He's just saying it's about hanging women. But he does say that the player has to keep them from doing that. So, no points. Sorry. Shut up, bitch. <laughs> and there's no points in the game. And he mentions the, the fact that, he, that you want to keep them from hanging young women and drilling their necks, which actually that one's technically true they are drilling those women's necks and that sounds really gross when you just say it like that and then when you watch the footage you're like oh all right (laughs) (laughs) well you never see it enter their flesh no literally it it looks like as i said before a hollowed out calligraphy pen just spinning very quickly and going down like it's It's not gruesome it's not sadistic it very much reminds me of like calling like cop rock like a gritty television show (laughs) so he's pressing them he then says quote it's a graphic depiction of the violence against women with strong overtones of sexual violence. This is what we're in for. Okay, so he says uh, you know, video... I, when I look at the augers, I think... I think sexual violence and ta- not... That's a Koopa. It looks like a Koopa. <laughs> he talks about how Night Trap, of course, has an unprecedented level of realism, which is being generous, if we're being honest here. <laughs> Uh, yes, it is actual photography of people who are talking and in front of the camera, but there's nothing realistic about it. No, no, no. It's Jacobian. And it is, it's the most Jacobian video game I've ever seen. (laughs) At the very end where, where Kelly sits down with the Martins and says, we will live vampires. We will live. I, I would definitely watch Connor McPherson's Night Trap. Uh, starring Toby Jones. Yes. Uh, I will say that the two page. Oh, that, that's the only one I want to mention is that the patriarch and the matriarch of the family uh, reminded me of just like two discarded versions of Doctor Who. Yes, yes, I like yep. that a lot um, because it's true. <laughs> I liked it because it was true, <laughs> Brian Alfred. So, and 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 Lieberman starts talking about how video games very soon the the technology is advancing so fast they're about to come over the cable channels, which I'm still waiting for that. Uh, well, cable channels have been dying a very slow, painful death for a while. Uh, you know what the cable channels could use is a uh, a good neck drilling from the night trap guns, which looked like super soakers. Anyway, it's fine. I'm just going to say that neck drilling sounds like something that you'd hit up someone on Grindr for. Uh, it's certainly something that the Joker tricked Batman into in the 50s. <laughs> Laugh at my neck drilling, will they? <laughs> That was coming out of two of the penis heads that like face. Then Herb him. Herb Cole comes up with this like tortured metaphor where he calls game designers. He compares them to how the Grinch stole Christmas because the horrible nightmarish content they will expose children to <laughs> it would be like the Grinch stealing stealing Christmas. So he says to them, "I can't follow this." He says that they have a choice. The game execs have a choice to be either heroes or Grinches. <laughs> and also, this starts to raise the question, where did Joe Lieberman and Herb Cole and these guys, where did they get the video? Did they make an aide play this game? Because would that aide not at least relay some notes back to them that the game wasn't about this shit, um, that it was different? Because you have to yeah. be kind of good at it to get to that point. That is past the first checkpoint. Right. You have to have killed at least 30 augers. And they're able to get the whole scene of Lisa getting killed in the bathroom. Yeah. So where did this footage come from? They can't even operate a fucking TV. Yeah. And there's no internet at this point. Yeah. 
It doesn't exist. Just like Delaware. They can't Google it. There's a like small contemporary interview. You can see it in the Night Trap game. I think it's on YouTube. It's from the mid-90s. So it's right after the controversy. Um, so they talked to Deborah Parks. She played Lisa. Deborah. Yes. Brian, it should be noted, listeners, that that Brian uh, reached a hand towards the camera as if trying to strangle me, (laughs) but then pulled it back and said, not today. I just wanted him to stop. (laughs) So she's in this little brief interview, and she kind of jokes about the nightgown. She didn't see it as like a sexy nightgown, although it's like it's got sheer elements. It's very nice looking on her. She's very pretty. Sure. It looks uh, the, the, the immediate thought to me was not. Sexy, honestly, it was cozy. Yeah, because yeah. she's going to bed. She's not like it is. She's tying her hair up. You Look, know, she like, walked out of Sam Goody with her best BFFs, and yeah. this strange Victorian girl <laughs> walked up to her and said, "Do you want to go to my creepy ass house in the swamp?" And she said, "Yeah, but like, let's go shopping a little bit first. So they grabbed an orange Julius, and they had a whole day just buying Payless shoes, and got themselves over to the house. She needs to go to bed, Brian. And so here's the other thing that Deborah Parks reveals: she was doing a little bit of a media circuit. She was talking to some, I don't know, local channels or whatever uh, about Night Trap. And she needed the footage. You know, they wanted to have that in their reel to show it. And she tried to reach out to a bunch of different people. Uh, No one could get it to her. And she reached out to Nintendo. And Nintendo was like, yeah, we'll get this to you right away. Oh, those sly sons of bitches. When we get to the Mortal Kombat footage on this videotape, which actually, it, it, it plays before Night Trap. It's amazing how little they prioritize Mortal Kombat, which is actually just a gruesome, like, and it's not even a well-designed game, right? Like Street Fighter is smoother, it's more fun. Mortal Kombat right. exists solely to show the gruesome violence. Um, it has it has since moved into a yes. more like story-oriented way, mm-hmm. but like at the very beginning, it was just like just a how, really clunky, yeah, yeah. How gruesome can we make it? Because that's what's going to sell. That's what yeah. differentiates us from all the other fighters. I think I tried to and, say differentiates, and then my brain imploded. I'm, I'm yeah. so sorry. Different shades of gray. Um, 50 different shades. The footage of Mortal Kombat, they show two different videos. And Joe mm. Lieberman tells you what makes them different and everything. They don't show the arcade version. They show the Sega version of Mortal Kombat, and they show the Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. And specifically to show that the Nintendo one, no blood, no spinal columns, no Kali Ma. But the Sega version, which of course was able to advertise and have lots of good word of mouth on being the real game, as opposed to the Super Nintendo version, which was not the real game. All of a sudden, that is very specific and very pointed at the Sega version, not the arcade version, which kids could easily access just as well, but the Sega right. version. Is there, I mean, is there a way to find out whether like Nintendo would have been able to like lobby for this? Like, Well... Nintendo's in this hearing. Howard Lincoln is here, and of course Sega is here as well. I just imagine someone turning around and there's just like the giant Nintendo logo in a business suit just like waving slightly sinisterly in the back. (laughs) So, um, of course, they show the Night Trap footage, and it is just the Lisa death scene. From the moment she notices the auger behind her in the shower uh, to the moment that she dies. When you watch it by itself... And when you've had it hyped up like this, it all of a sudden becomes kind of horrifying. You know, it's a woman getting a drill stuck into her neck. There's a close-up of the needle. And she does scream a really long time. And the screaming does actually make it a little bit troubling. Yeah, Um, Yeah, it's blood curdling. No other part of the game is shown except for the opening titles, which, of course, has a woman screaming. Uh, Oh, uh, they really cared about that A. Yeah, they did. That was the A's wife that's screaming. And, of course... Uh, she's wearing a nightgown. Mm. You, well, you know what women do in nightgowns. Oh, I'm, I'm so, hor- I'm so horny. <laughs> I'm, so, I want to, I want to fuck this lady. And, and like, and again, it's her comments on the nightgown. It's like she was on set. It didn't feel weird. She was just in a nightgown. She's like, I think it had little flowers. She just kind of jokes about it, because like, there is a point where it's like, yeah, the girls are dressed a certain way. Yeah. It's also the 80s. It's also the right. way girls liked to dress then. And there, it, I, this does become a bit of the policing of women's bodies to me. Oh, um, a- abso- absolutely. I mean, and look, it, I feel like if it were truly exploitative, it, like 
you know, it would have gone a Porky, Porky's route or something. Yeah, like, yeah. well, yeah. They would have just been like topless and doing and like... And again, uh, when they were filming it, fights. they specifically went out of their way to make it completely inoffensive. And so this was them just making this fun little thing. And no one on set was like, oh, this might go a little too far. <laughs> Never. You think the DP of Forrest Gump would film <laughs> smut? Shame on you. <laughs> um, and then we move to the expert testimony, the panel down, down at the floor. We begin with this guy named Parker Page. He is with the Children's Television Resource and Education Center. No longer exists today. Um, what is the acronym for that? C C T R E C Kutrec. I don't know. It's a San Francisco based quote organization that I think a lot of these are just the one guy. Sure. He he made a couple of educational products. I found a public radio interview of him earlier today. Uh, he talks about the epidemic of violence that's going on in the early 90s, you know, the big scary specter, the epidemic of violence, right? That and in this public radio footage, of course, he he talks about TV. These people are all focused more on TV. And then video games are just like TV, but extra because it's just really scary. Um, right. It's like, what if HAL 9000 was a television set for kids? Yeah, thanks a lot, Kubrick. <laughs> so there's a part where he's talking about Beavis and Butthead on this public radio interview. And he says it pushes the envelope of mindlessness. And he says, you know, it could be OK for teens, but for young people, you know, you have to be able to know that you can't just burn down houses, which made me go, what the fuck is he talking about? And it turns out in 1995, this is a couple of years later that this interview is happening. There was a kid in Dayton, Ohio, a five year old child with a two year old sister who uh, set his mattress on fire. And his parents said it was because of Beavis and Butthead that he did it. This five year old. That, does that happen in Beavis and Butthead? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's there's definitely some stuff where they like blow shit up. I mean, Beavis and Butthead is a supremely stupid little TV show, and yes, there's fire. Um, but this became the whole thing. MTV pulled every episode that involved fire out of its circulation. They were left Everyone with was, one. Right again, and this is like we're getting into this idea of what the '90s is. These constant outrages over very ridiculous things like Beavis and Butthead setting fires. Um. And and he talks about Parker Page in this public radio interview. He talks about how, well, slapstick was all that I had as a kid. You know, and he's talking about how replicable the violence of Beavis and Butthead is. Um, again, Night Trap, of course, was trying not to create any replicable viol violence. That was their specific purpose, was violence that a kid could not replicate in their home by having a hook that <laughs> latched onto the back of a neck. And uh, Right. Well, and also the, the only slapstick in it, I believe, is that man being thrown out the window. Right. It's not even that slapstick. Um, no. And slapstick, of course, had its own moral panic. Oh, I'm sure. People were really upset because of all the violence that Mickey Mouse would do, which is why Mickey Mouse tamed down. Fleischer didn't and Warner Brothers didn't so much. But it's like, this guy grew up watching TV in the 50s, 60s. And like, Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd have fucking guns. Yeah, Daddy gets his face <laughs> blown fuck? off a lot. It's so much more violent than, I mean, there was some violent like kids shows in the 80s and the kids shows in the 80s were also more fucked up because they were meant to sell toys where the toy was the real right. product and the show existed just for that purpose. That's Ronald Reagan's fault. Blame that old bitch. Uh, he can go straight to hell. And I do. Uh, well, he is. He's in hell. He's currently there. Oh, he's absolutely um, in hell. Yeah. Um, he's like, where am I, Nancy? Um, <laughs> they don't have jelly beans down here. <laughs> uh, so how Parker is, Page, how is my gipper? So Parker Page back at the uh, the hearing calls mm -hmm. for some more research. He cites a little bit of dubious research on the history of television and children and in increased aggression. If you ever read these interviews on aggression, they don't actually know how to measure it or how to express it. They always just kind of do some warmed over half-baked like milgram experiment where like people will play a video game or watch a TV show. And then they'll be like, after the show, they're like, do you want to push that button that'll hurt somebody? And they're like, okay, sure. <laughs> Brian, 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 have you ever considered measuring in love? Hmm. In daylights and sunsets and Ooh. midnights and cups of coffee. Ooh, you should write this down. <sighs> I you would, could, but... You could get a Pulitzer. Ugh, I'm kind of afraid a composer will steal it and claim it's his. We are calling out the dead. Oh, he probably wrote it. I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't respect the dead. I lost any sense of traditional values after I played Night Trap. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. Night Trap, uh, I, I had them as of this morning. Yeah. And then I watched Night Trap, and they're just all gone now. It's done. So the next one to talk at the panel is Dr. Eugene Provenzo. 
And Provenzo wrote a book called Video Kids, Making Sense of Nintendo. In this is a villainous NPC that owns a barber shop <laughs> in a D&D game, and you cannot convince and me he, otherwise. And you can see, making sense of Nintendo, right? He uses Nintendo as a synonym for video games. Something Nintendo might not like to have associated with them, if the video game is a synonym for a cultural ill. Right. right. He actually raises some interesting questions. He doesn't use any science. He doesn't use any specifics. But he does talk about the idea of of gender disparity and gender roles in video games. He talks about how they could lead to an increase in racism. The example that he uses is really strange because he said he interviewed these two kids or a study interviewed these two kids who played a game with a ninja or something or like, then they asked what a ninja was and the kids said, oh, well, they're, uh, they're the Japs is what this child says. Which if you're a child in 1992 and you're a saying that slur, you did not learn that from anyone except for your family. Yeah, there's no way. Um, there's no way. There's no pop culture that would even refer. But like, there no. is an interesting point about how video games do create an other and like how every Uncharted game is about you killing a different kind of brown person. Um, right. Like, Very this, valid criticism. This actually becomes more relevant in the conversation around video games today that I think is actually like, oh, that's a good point that he raised. He even, he briefly brings up homophobia and like, you can see the other people at the table kind of uh, concurring with him when he talks about like gender and sexual violence. And then he says homophobia and there's just silence because it's 1990 fucking three <sighs> and they're all the devil. Um, and and yep. I'm, I, I appreciate him for caring about that. He's wrong about everything, but I appreciate him for caring. You know Apparently, what? He gets he gets a, he gets a single gold star. Yeah. He's he's an academic. He he's like down in Florida. He's written some books about W.B. Du Bois. I bet they're fine. Uh, he shouldn't be writing about like psychological phenomena because he doesn't approach it scientifically in any way. Um, right, especially if he's presenting that particular anecdote yeah. as like evidence. That's and, and, so and scientifically on his language as this hearing goes on. Like he chuckles at certain things. He. Um, you start to see that he's he's hedging his language and he gets a little bit more pointed towards the end that he's just he just thinks these are satanic and should be destroyed. Not literally, because some people, of course, are thinking that they are literally satanic at this point in time. Right. <laughs> oh, what a cool what a cool world. Um, the 90s was the cool zone. There was Rugrats, Brian. Provenzo. Where does Provenzo end up? Well, years later. And I think we can't really talk about this guy in this episode too much, but Provenzo ends up teaming up with Jack Thompson in the 2000s. And Jack Thompson is not a liberal. Jack Thompson is a right winger. He is a full blown Republican conservative who mostly got into going after violent video games because of a weird feud he had with a radio host and Janet Reno. And no, I'm not making this up. If you want more information, look at his Wikipedia right now because it reads like a novel. It is gorgeous. Whoever edited that page has done a beautiful job. It was um, me. <laughs> uh, but Jack Thompson, of course, was like a deeply racist, homophobic, et cetera, man um, who this will be the last thing I say about him because there's just too much. In, in a future episode, I'm sure yeah, we'll cover him. He compared the wave of video games and how they were destroying our culture to Pearl Harbor. Uh-huh. We're just doing we're just doing away with all the pretenses of racism. So oops, all racial overtones. <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to this this hearing, Provenzo refers to Night Trap's tech as the future. You know, he sees this videotape stuff. He's like, this is exactly where video games are going to go. Um, he says it's so interactive. It's so real. He compares it to the feelies in Brave New World. Whoa. <laughs> And of course, FMV very quickly, Huxley. very quickly lost popularity because it was actually less interactive than any other video game. All you do in Night Trap is switch to a camera and push a button at the right time, or you don't push the button at the right time. That's right. it. There right. is no interaction in that game whatsoever. And in fact, the whole game is built from a vantage point where there is no interaction. I will say that genuinely, I actually lost a little respect for Five Nights at Freddy's because I thought it had invented that genre whole cloth. <laughs> and in fact, no, this this had to have been the progenitor of that genre. Am I yeah. am I wrong? Was there was there anything I like cannot imagine anything that came before Night Trap? Right. No. And, it and Night Trap came out of specifically designing something for videotape. 
you know, I mean, without without inventing that that genre, form dictated content, um, right. which is one of my favorite things about video games. Provenzo starts to cite this report that said that the advent of television in Canada doubled the murder rate. He says that television alone is responsible for ten thousand people murdering other people a year. Right. So if television right. hadn't been invented, there would be. 10,000 fewer murders each year. Absolutely just fucking bird brain, completely unfalsifiable bullshit. So then we have Robert Chase of the NEA, not the National Endowment for the Arts, but the National Educators Association or Education Association. Thank you. They are the the country's largest teachers union. Uh, Robert Chase, as the head of the National Education Association, goes on uh, about the corrupting influence on video games on children. Uh, This guy also in 1997, this was his first term, uh, caught flack for saying that the reason the NEA doesn't get a seat at the table during discussions of education reform, like in Washington, et cetera, is that, well, there's just too many bad teachers and they don't have enough credibility. This is the most 90s ass uh-huh. fucking bullshit, dumbass liberal yeah. fucking union leader that you could imagine. Just one of the worst people to represent a labor union whatsoever. Jesus. The, the, just like to think about the attacks that happen on teachers that have continued to this day. Oh yeah. It's the whole reason all of that has been happening is just because all the teachers just keep getting worse. That's exactly it. You stupid piece of shit. Right. I mean, you look at like what was been, what has been happening over the last year, the demonizing of teachers unions and the fact that the only time the teachers union actually did get a seat at the table actually did get something significantly changed regarding education reform were the illegal wildcat strikes in like West Virginia and these other deep red states where they fucking broke the law, went on strike and demanded change and fucking got it. So remember, these people, these Robert Chase people, they abandoned working class politics. They abandoned the actual politics of power in favor of a culture war politic because it was so effective for Reagan. But you cannot win by adopting the exact same positions as your enemy. I mean, look, any other (laughs) any other any other answer to that question other than the teachers are bad, it would require action. On, yep. on yeah. their part. They just don't want to do you couldn't, it. You, and you just couldn't do that. As a, as a lib in the 90s, are you fucking kidding mm-hmm. me? You couldn't do that. So Marilyn Droz is next. She, in her testimony, uh, says, this is so extremely offensive. Shame on you. Specifically talking about Night Trap. She's not even referencing the other games. She's just talking about Night Trap. She says, how would you like your daughter, this is a quote, to go on a date with a boy who played three hours of that game? And ma'am, I would feel incredibly safe because that young fellow is a homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I do wonder, you you hear about a lot of coming out stories or like, you know, moments (laughs) where people realize their sexuality. I I don't think I've ever heard Night Trap made me realize that I was gay. You know, there's someone out there, though. There's someone who used to grab a tennis racket. And he'd sing Night Trap into the handle and then just think, there might be something going on with me that's a little bit different. I mean, again, the game is so chaste. It's so chaste. In so many ways. Yeah, the only, like, pure visceral thrill that comes from it is the camp value. And it it is such a, like, thrilling, tingly gay experience that everyone should enjoy. Well, it's also the staring into the camera and the eyes turning green momentarily where you're like, yeah, okay. Sure. Um, Don't perceive me. (laughs) And but then she gets a little interesting. She actually likes games. She likes the idea of electronic and interactive entertainment. And she decries the lack of games for girls. She wants girls to be able to learn the way that boys can learn from games. She wants girls to be able to interact and and uh, utilize technology and not have it simply be territory for boys. Which did yeah. become more of a problem because of the Nintendo model of release. Of course, Sega right. started releasing in electronics aisles, but that time the damage was done. It was a boys thing. So it went from marketing to 10-year-old boys to marketing to 13-year-old boys. Um, right. And, and like the comics book industry, I think, uh-huh. it started to just, it, it, it didn't ever uh, course correct back to being kids. Yeah. Like it just, it yeah. stayed with that same crowd. And as they grew up, those kids were then making games for themselves and, what's, and weren't necessarily what's making so games for kids What's so frustrating anymore. about this for me is that Night Trap totally could have been that game. Yeah. Night Trap is a game that's all girls. 
You as the controller, they do not assume any gender of the player playing the game, right. even though they they attempt to say that that does happen. And maybe you can construe it with the Sega version of that opening narration, certainly not the original. But it's right. like, there's really not a lot there for like a teenage boy. If you're going to get something out of that that's like macho or that is sexually titillating, you're going to be doing a lot of work. <laughs> right. And, and you probably will miss it because you're in another room dealing right. with augers right. and not... You can't be there to augers who you cannot actually live out a violent fantasy against. There's no power fantasy. You just drop them in a hole if you maybe get the chance. Right. It's a very disempowered game. Droz is also apparently horrified. She brings in magazines that she got at the newsstand outside. They're like, these are just full of guides and cheat codes on how to optimize your ability to kill. She's just like uh, mad that this magazine tells kids how to play the game more. <laughs> And so she How is in a group. How dare you get the most of your money? How she's dare in a you? group called NCTV, the National Coalition on Television Violence. This is, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent here because I think these are all very interesting people. This is a rogues gallery, a semi-rogues gallery. Some of them are normal and some of them are absolutely grotesque. The head of NCTV is a woman named Carol Lieberman. No relation. How? What? <laughs> she is a script consult. She's a, she's a trained psychotherapist or whatever. She's a script consultant and she's an expert. She's a professional expert witness. Um, never trust any of those people. People who are like the constant expert witnesses should never be trusted by any jury ever because all they ever do is go to courtrooms and draw attention to themselves. And Carol Lieberman is absolutely one of these people. A script consultant for what exactly? Movies. So like uh, people would, will, you know, look for consultants if they're writing about a certain thing. So maybe psych, maybe there's a scene with a therapist. She might consult on that. I see. I see. Even though she doesn't I, I thought, actually I thought, I thought see maybe patients. she was punching up, like, yeah. look who's talking to oh, in no, her spare yeah, time. Yeah. She, she's not like, uh, like Carrie Fisher did throughout the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, she uh, was called as an expert witness in Scott Amador's murder, mm -hmm. which was a big media frenzy at the time. Scott Amador was a gay man who went on a show called The Jenny Jones Show. It was just another one of those many exploitative daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer, et cetera. Sure. There were so many of those. She had this show where, like, if someone had a secret admirer, you know, that admirer could get them on the show. They'd call up the person who is admired. It's almost like catfish, but actually worse somehow. And then that person would come on the show and meet their secret admirer. So the person Scott Amador admired was a man named Jonathan Schmitz. Jonathan Schmitz was heterosexual. I see. This whole show happens. She even tells Amador, like, to explain these sexual fantasies that she has about him. And she assures him Schmitz is in like a soundproof room, no feed from the, the stage or anything. She calls out Schmitz. She's like, meet your secret admirer. And then he sees Amador. And if you just watch the TV clip, he actually handles it pretty, he seems to handle it pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, it's not good for either of these people. It's so, it's just like. Deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. And both Why of them would have you been, do that? Why have would been you coaxed do that? It seems so into cruel. doing more than they would have been comfortable with initially. Right. Right. classic 90s television and classic reality television, you know, all of that stuff. Schmitz, <clears throat> a few days later, even after going on the show and just saying, no, I'm not attracted to you, whatever, this is fine. They hug at the end, whatever. He goes to Amador's home. He, he, he takes money out of the bank. He goes and buys a gun. He takes the gun and he murders Amador. Jesus. <sighs> so Carol Lieberman is called to be the expert witness. Speaking as a psychotherapist, she interviews him for a few hours. He already had a, a psychiatrist. He had diagnosed bipolar disorder, et cetera. She diagnoses him again. She talks about the abuse of his parents. This case is also famous for perfecting the gay panic defense. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. The famed gay panic defense. But he was gay, therefore killing him is fine, essentially. Right. So he gets it talked down from, I, I think, God. first... First to second degree, right? I murdered him on accident because of just how gay he was. I just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so struck by the panic part of it because it seems so premeditated. It's like fully premeditated. Nothing... He took money out of the bank, went and bought a gun, went to his house and killed him. I can't believe that's the first, that, that's you know, like the that's benchmark not a, case for that. That was multiple days. It was not a manic episode. It was, he went and killed this guy for the humiliation that he suffered on TV and because he was gay. Right. And so she was part of that. And she like said that, that he, you know, he fired, I think the first shot or like went to attack him. And then Amador picked up a chair and she said, well, that was just like his father who abused him. And he used to pick up a chair before he'd hit him or something. Complete bullshit. That's what these people oh, are. They're hell. bullshit artists. Then the Amador family files a wrongful death suit against the Jenny Jones show. Honestly, um, Sch Schmitz and his family should have 
filed suit against the Jenny Jones show. Because, I mean, if there's yeah. one party that is absolutely culpable in all this, is the Jenny Jones show on both sides. And she tries to get into that trial as an expert witness. The lawyers for Amador's family talked to Schmitz's defense lawyers, who, uh, <laughs> who told them Schmitz is mentally unbalanced and, quote, a terrible witness who was disliked by the jury. Um, the Amador <laughs> trial, the family trial against Jenny Jones, ends up being a big court TV thing. I think the first Amador trial was the first court TV trial. Whoa. <laughs> Everything happening live on TV. Absolutely fucking disgusting. Our country is so broken. Carol sues the lawyers who kind of repeat this on court TV. They call her a Looney Tune. She sues the Amador's family's lawyers for defamation. Her Wait, legitimately call her a Looney Tune? They called her a Looney. They, they said, quote, Looney Tune. Yes. Um, <laughs> they didn't say her by name, um, but it was referencing her. So she sues them for defamation over a number of things that were like set on court TV, et cetera. Um, right. The judge ends up throwing out every single count. It's just fully dismissed. And before she worked on the Amador case and the Jenny Jones case, she was a regular guest on the Jenny Jones show because her entire career is seeking attention. So one of the ways that she sought attention was making another one of these TV violence pressure groups speaking to Congress, getting up on national TV over and over and over again. She is a huckster looking for a new hustle. She calls herself America's psychiatrist on Twitter. Uh, she has a website called terroristtherapist.com that's in her bio. I, I can't. Oh, I mean, here's the other thing, Brian. This feels like we're like deliberating ancient history. Yeah. And then you you just said she had a Twitter <laughs> and my Twitter. brain imploded. And most of these people, like you can't find any evidence of them outside of this one hearing. But her, she's still around. Um, and so her website, terroristtherapist.com, which itself feels like a relic. She has a disclosure at the top that says, quote, I am not a therapist for terrorists, nor am I a terrorist because she has to <laughs> she's... They get a different website. <laughs> what Anal are you doing? She's the anaurapist. Um, yeah. So she goes on TV. She has a she has her reel on, v on Vimeo, like and it's on her terrorist therapist website. Um, and basically her whole appearances on TV are just telling people they need to be more scared of terrorism, right? You're supposed to be more scared. The media doesn't spend enough time on terrorism. And then she turns around and is like, are you feeling scared because of the terrorism? I can help you out. She has a children's book. <laughs> she has a children's no, book. No, no. What is the title of the book, Brian? Her book is called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists. Oh, my. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good. Good. Very good. Um, you know, you know what I what yeah. I love about therapists, like my favorite part about therapists yeah. is the part where they tell me that I should be more anxious. <laughs> the terrorism thing is like this is what happened to the U.S. and after 9-11. Right. Everyone who had been spending the last 20 years focusing on non things like violence in video games or whatever, mm -hmm. then switched their focus to terrorism. And so she's doing the exact same thing. She just has a new target, except now even that target is looking pretty hoary and old at this point. Like the last time she did anything on TV was like the Boston bombing. Um, right. Back then, TV violence concerns were very lucrative, right? These things were just popping up in the Midwest, on the coasts, and she always had to be the center, right? She's always seeking fame. She's always seeking money. Other NCTVers include a woman named Pat Pulling. Patricia Pulling, who is the founder of Bad D Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons is the name of the organization, which is one of right. the worst titles I've ever seen in my life. Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, this wait, organization. Wait, uh, Mothers, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, was that, uh, did that predate? I think it's this? after Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. I could be wrong. Uh, Bad D does not exist anymore. It ended when she died of lung cancer in 1997. Um, she, uh, I mean, you know the crusade against Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think I have to explain that. That's the satanic panic. It's all that stupid bullshit. She is a member of this right. group that was levying their complaint against Night Trap. At this point, too, by 91, major scientific re research had shown that sh what she was saying about the links between Dungeons and & Dragons and suicide uh, were completely non-existent, despite what that shitty Tom Hanks movie would have you believe. <laughs> she had been totally discredited in media as well. Multiple books had been published debunking every single thing that she said because she was just a freak. <laughs> And uh, then another NCTVer, we have Dolores Alexander, who is a part of WAP. Uh-huh. 
Women Against Pornography. <laughs> Which was an old school Gloria I'm Steinem. So, um, I'm so glad. <laughs> Andrea Dworkin feminist group in the in New York in the old days. That it wasn't the other thing. Was around for like 20 years. Although it is funny when you go to the Wikipedia page, it says for WAP song, click this link. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully it will have over taken entirely. And, and so. just like so many of these social groups from the 70s that somehow lingered into the 90s, they became completely right-wing. I mean, of course, Gloria Steinem was like a CIA asset. And um, <laughs> they teamed up with Ed Meese and the Reagan administration in, in working on their obscenity papers that ended up being far to the right of like Nixon's previous study on obscenity. I have no information on Dolores Alexander whatsoever, just that group. And just like any of those groups that were around for a long time, they accomplished very little and most of it was bad. Right. Robert Gould, a psychologist, is actually the most interesting, like normal-ish figure on here. Bobby. He, he lobbied to remove homosexuality from the DSM okay. uh, to make it no longer a mental illness. Uh, he ran into some trouble because he opined in like a 1990 Cosmo article that because the incidence of uh, infection of HIV uh, from vaginal intercourse was so low, women should not let it impede any action they take when enjoying sex or something like that. And it's like, still tell people to use condoms, please, dude. Yeah. Like, women can, can and in fact do get HIV. Yeah. Like, you can still do some things about your habits. You know who needs 20 condoms? <laughs> it's the Joker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See what I did there, Brian? I tricked you into my boner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, Robert Gould helped the ACLU overturn a uh, the institutionalization of a non-mentally ill woman who chose to be homeless voluntarily. Um, so, he actually oh. has kind of a good history... He just was also wrapped up in this group for, I don't know, who knows why these people do these things. We all we all have the you know, friends. There you know. are real concerns here, right? Like the stuff yeah. that Droz brings up is actually compelling and 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 real. Yeah. But their their response to it is so is pitched all the way to the hilt. And it's it's so indistinguishable from satanic panic. Mm -hmm. And it's part of this 90s political project, right? You know, this is such a weird venue. If you have a problem with this video game violence, why are you going to the fucking Senate for this? This is so weird. It's a good way to guarantee getting cameras on you, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Then there is the Marianne, Marianne Bonta, uh, who is mostly an advocate for V-chips, things like that, which I'm fine with. Droz actually appears in a newspaper column in like 1990, and she talks about her trouble with a V-chip in her TV, where she accidentally blocked herself out of a National Geographic documentary, and her son had to come get her <laughs> fixed. Uh, That's adorable. And it's like, yeah, well, it's not your fault. You don't understand the technology. And it also is the base of all of this. Um, you know, and it speaks to the politics of the 80s and 90s. It's it's the continual Reagan project, even among liberals, where they're centering the nuclear family as the main unit of society. And right. it is a blatant misunderstanding of this game. So yeah. Byron Dorgan, another senator on the Senate side of this hearing. Byron Dorgan right. is a Democrat from North Dakota, which let's just ruminate on that for a second, too. Democrat Brit from North Dakota. I feel like my brain has imploded several times in this <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> and he that might be the biggest one. He describes Night Trap as a sick, disgusting video game, in my judgment. It is an effort to trap and kill women, which is the opposite of what it is. Did, did, did any of them play the game? Oh, absolutely not. But apparently none of them even read about the game before they went to this hearing. Um, a synopsis. Even like they just could have a, talked a to synopsis. a guy who played it. Like that existed in 1993. They're the Senate. They can call the developers. They did. Dorgan actually brings up, well, the developer uh, couldn't show up today. And the developer is in the, in the audience. And he says, I'm here, actually, because they were told the day of when they showed up, oh, we won't have time for you. And he reads the developer's uh, statement. He reads exactly one sentence of it, looks at it for a really long time, and then puts it down. And all that he reads is the sentence that the CEO of the company puts out that says it's supposed to be a spoof of vampire movies, which is very true. He says that this game, uh, Byron Dorgan, I mean, he says this game is child abuse, 
which is a pretty serious accusation for a legislator to put forth, considering the power that he has to write legislation actually making it child abuse. Eventually, the information finally gets around from a a statement made by Sega that, again, he only reads one sentence from, that Lisa's death is a fail state. And so all of the experts and all the senators start chuckling because they're like, oh, so every time you die, you have to watch this happen? Is that a lesson we should be teaching our kids that every time they fail something, they die? And like, no. In fact, part of the reason it happens is because you're not seeing it happen. Right. (laughs) And no, there are many other ways to die. But again, none of these people know a single thing about interactive media. And since a lot of them are still alive and a lot of people in Congress are the same age as them, Many of them today also have no idea how this shit works. Yeah. That should make you feel good. It, uh, Brian, I'll tell you, it doesn't. <laughs> um, Bill White, uh, finally, uh, the VP of Sega, finally gets to talk after Howard Lincoln, VP of Nintendo of America, talks. White is actually a former Nintendo employee, and Howard Lincoln kind of brings that up as he's sniping at him. And Bill White brings up the fact that they started their rating system. And then Lincoln is like, yeah, but you didn't release the game with that rating slapped on. You put it on later. And when you think about the stuff in May where they said that Nintendo was going to implement its own rating system, they hoped. It's like it seems very clear that they had a meeting and they tried to make this a cross-industry standard before this hearing, long before this hearing was going to happen, before it was even slated to happen. And Nintendo backed out is the read that I get on it. Because Nintendo has a very strong interest to make Sega specifically look bad while making Nintendo look good. Of course, the ESRB is established the next year. They do get a universal rating system for U.S. games, K to A, T, M. And of course, Night Trap is one of the first games to get an M rating. Now it's rated T. (laughs) I did. I I saw the original box (laughs) art and I did notice that. And so Howard Lincoln, of course, he goes on. I didn't look at uh, Bill White's thing because whatever, it's Sega. He failed miserably, whatever. Um, Howard Lincoln eventually goes on to manage the Mariners because Yamauchi, the then president back then of of Nintendo, um, he's a majority, he was a majority owner of the Mariners. And Phillips worked, I guess, in his absence to represent the team. He is very unpopular among Mariners fans. That is not a point against him because Mariners fans are the worst baseball fans of any of them. Worse than Boston, worse than New York. Sorry. You guys suck. You suck. You suck shit. You're the whiniest, most fucking irritating people in the entire world of baseball. I'm keeping that in. Uh, Yamauchi died in 2019, and so Howard Phillips, I don't believe, is in that managerial. Yeah, well, what, ha- what, what, what happened What happened with, with the hearing? It obviously didn't go anywhere. Well, so the hearing ends up, you know, the ESRB gets announced. Uh, actually, Doom came out the very next day. Um, Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then, you uh, know, so, demons. so the two main results are we get the rating system and Night Trap sells like a motherfucker. By Christmas time, they sell a quarter of a million units. Even though they because, get pulled just from, because of all this, even though they get pulled from toy stores, it sells like gangbusters. It was not a popular game up until then. The the CEO of Digital Pictures actually thanks Howard Lincoln specifically, and Howard Lincoln goes on <laughs> to say, "We will never sell Night Trap on a Nintendo platform," which one ends up being wrong now in the good old days of 2021. It's 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 almost it's on Switch and, and two, I think Steam. Of yeah. course, he said that back then because Nintendo wasn't even going to have a disc-based system until 2001. The Super Nintendo yeah. was not going to release Night Trap the way that they released Mortal Kombat. Combat because they literally could not. They it did not fit, have yeah. the infrastructure to play videos of any kind. Um, right. So uh, Dorgan's future, the North Dakota Democrat, he yes. uh, spends a lot of time in the 90s actually warning about the financial situations that will lead to the 2008 collapse. Uh, unregulated speculation, which, of course, Bill Clinton actually encouraged with his legislation. Right. He did a ton of dereg while he was in the office, just like Reagan, just like Bush, just like Bush. Two separate Bushes. Yes. Dorgan ends up voting for the Defense of Marriage Act, Bill Clinton's extremely anti-gay legislation. Uh-huh. He opposes a major immigration reform bill in the 2000s, which would have provided paths to citizenship for a lot of uh, undocumented immigrants because he said it would drive down wages. Cole's future, Mr. Cole of the Cole's uh, department store. He also voted for the Defense of Marriage Act. Cole's is currently, they managed to say on the news cycle, but this year they just paid off like an almost $3 million settlement for overtime wages for their assistant managers. Retail, Satan. Lieberman's future. Lieberman voted for the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, 
Then, of course, he jo- he becomes a third party candidate. He runs as an independent. There's a party that starts in Connecticut that's just the get Lieberman into the Senate party that a few years later ends up running another candidate against Lieberman while still keeping the get Lieberman to the Senate party name. Um, Lieberman, of course, if you were around during the ACA debates and remember any of this shit, he was the linchpin for killing the public option in the Affordable Care Act because they had to get that to the two-thirds vote. Of course, Democrats, including Lieberman and Bernie Sanders, uh, had the two-thirds majority to be able to get the ACA to a vote, and he refused to allow that to happen unless the public option was removed. And so, because of Joseph Lieberman, tens of thousands of people each year have died. Joseph Lieberman has more blood on his hands than the entire video game industry since its inception. This is the 90s political project. Make the Democrats indistinguishable from the Republicans because they thought they just couldn't win, especially after Reagan's re-election. Take the culture war on and take the same side but just be more annoying about it somehow, right? Tipper Gore in the 80s and the parental advisory stickers, the ESRB being established, these video game projects, Night Trap, gay rights, fuck it, DOMA. We're going DOMA, we're going don't ask, don't tell. Get fucked, faggots. Hmm. Deregulation, deregulation, deregulation. Let the businesses do everything. Neoliberalize everything. Reagan was right. Just keep it going, right? Do it a little bit smarter that you can run the budget on a surplus by the time Clinton is out of office instead of a major deficit like Reagan ran, but still absolutely destroy everything. Get rid of welfare. Get more people into prisons, right? Pass the crime bill. And this is where we get back through these politics of the individual, through these politics of the household, through these politics that are so detached from actual societal progress and more attached to personal grievances and the protection of children and the optimization of a society that has wiped out all opposition and is now turning in on itself and on internal threats. When the empire gains supremacy, then it must purify from any outside source. So you remember Richard Allen Davis, the man who murdered that 12-year-old girl? What does he have to do with this? Mass incarceration? Of course, we took everything up. On the state level, in California, what was the major piece of criminal legislation that passed in the 1990s? The three strikes law. That anyone who gets sent to prison that third time, they're in it for the rest of their life. Whether that's marijuana, whether that's shoplifting, it could be anything on any range. That third crime gets you in and you never come out again. That came about because of Richard Allen Davis who was sentenced to death in the mid-1990s and remains on death row to this day. Wow. (laughs) And incarceration cranked up on the national level and on the state level because of what? Video games? All the video games that this man born in 1954 played before his first arrest at age 12? The TV that he watched in his poor household with his alcoholic, abusive parents, they didn't have TV. They didn't have, he wasn't regularly going to movies. He wasn't trained by media. He was trained by his personal circumstances. And he was allowed to go as far as he did because of how much we devalued the experiences of the women he chose to victimize. But again, we abandoned that. We moved everything to abstractions, to the entertainments, to videotapes, to porn, to night trap, to fucking night trap, to a thing that is so anodyne and harmless it could have been produced by Miller Boyett, that it literally was produced by fucking Hasbro. Yeah. (laughs) So the media relationship to this, this is all media circuses. This is all constant panics over the smallest things because once a society has reached this point where it no longer knows who to attack but it still only exists to attack it cranks in and it looks for every possible thing that can be uh, uh, considered a flaw an aberration and it seeks to wipe it out with impunity and this brings us the rise of the gamer tm as an aggrieved class liberals were the face of this particular censorship against TV and video games. It raises this conservatism of gamers. And it raises this opposition 
where this continues, right? You have Hillary Clinton. When she becomes a senator, she opposes video games. You have Leland Yee, California state senator, who is currently in prison on uh, weapons trafficking charges. <laughs> Look, in California, we know how to pick them. What can I say? <laughs> and, of course, Jack Thompson, who is a fully disbarred freak, still out there doing something about something. Racism, homophobia, sexism in games. These were real. These were real problems, and these are bigger problems now. Of course, they get weaponized by the Pentagon. This gamer culture is sick and disgusting, putrid, awful shit. And a lot of it is influenced by the games themselves. However, the venue for it was wrong. The attitude around it was wrong. And for whatever fucking reason, they decided the worst possible game out of all of these was Night Trap. Well... All I can say... We truly have found ourselves in... <laughs> the, worst the worst of all, all possible, possible worlds. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. Be gay, play Night Trap. Hello, it's Brian. Thank you for listening to the worst of all possible podcasts. As we said, this will not be supplanting our production. We will be continuing to make videos, and we are about to shoot the next one very, very soon. In addition, we are going to be making patron-only episodes of the podcast, so you can look forward to that. So now I would just like to thank our sponsors, which are not the fictional state of Delaware or the non-fictional color of orange. They are actually the patrons who are making all of this possible, including Octavia Immersive, Dominic Russo, Nate Netsley, Aeneas Hemphill, Benjamin R. Alford, and a special thanks to Nikola Donov. All right. Have a great night. Trap. Night trap of demons.